I'm Desiree. And I'm Tyrone. And we are not your attorneys. Welcome to a special episode of Pop Law. Very special. We are featuring our special guest, Matthew R. Smalls. Yes, we have Matthew here with us today. And he's going to walk us through some uh, criminal law cases. But first, who is Matthew? Matthew R. Smalls, to be exact. Well, he's from the law offices of Matthew R. Smalls. And he is highly trained and well-respectedly professional. And really, he's worked all across Manhattan. And he was a judicial clerk in the Manhattan Supreme Court. He was a legal intern with the Major Narcotics Investigation Bureau of Kings County District Attorney Office. Like, that was a lot to say, but, like, that was also a very important space to work in. We're talking law and order and criminal intent right there. (laughs) Um, and as he was also in, an, he also worked as at the Investor Protection Bureau of the Attorney General of the State of New York. And since then, he's just done a lot. But I'm not going to steal his thunder. Just know that he's done a lot in the criminal law background. So without further ado, we have Mr. Matthew R. Smalls. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so Matthew, I know that I sort of rushed a little bit over your background, but. Can you tell us in your own words, sort of like, what are you doing now and what sort of advises you in, in terms of your experiences and the sort of the things that we'll speak about today? Um, sort of like, what what do you want to be drawing from in your background? Sure. So in 2004, I was appointed as an assistant district attorney in Manhattan by Robert M. Morgenthau. Um, so I was a Manhattan ADA. Um, so think the show Law and Order, the original show. The original. So the second portion, the the attorney portion, that was my job. Um, I did that for a number of years. Um, I prosecuted all different kinds of cases from disorderly conduct, which is kind of the lowest level of criminal conduct that we prosecute, to uh, I think the most serious case I prosecuted was an attempted murder case. Um, at Central Park, we called it the duck case oh um, wow did it get a lot of press i don't remember okay i was thinking because you know i'm thinking like central park five central park five yeah <laughs> no not central park five not central park five and uh, hopefully i i did not put any innocent people in jail um because that's all i can think about with the central park five absolutely yeah. and i did you mention law the original law and order how accurate would you say since you work in this space is that show to sort of what happens in the day-to-day, like, a district attorney's office, prosecutor's office, how accurate is that? Inaccurate. Completely or, like, sort of, or they get things right here and there? Well, the cases are drawn on actual cases. Yes. So many of the facts of the, of the episodes are accurate, but it's very difficult to make courtroom drama look good on television. And, like, sexy. It's, right. Because it's not. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's, it's it not. takes a long time and... It's boring. It's, like, old judges and... Unattractive people. You know, it's, it's not a good place to be unless you're getting paid. 
Well, <laughs> this week, hopefully we can give you guys something that's a little bit interesting and have Matthew's expertise on it. And, and the criminal, <laughs> right, the criminal law. I don't think. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I, we're going to be talking about sex abuse allegations, so we do not want to make this sexy. <laughs> On this episode, we'll be discussing the Meek Mill sentencing, which is highly publicized, as well as uh, Danny Masterson's rape allegations. Uh, Danny Masterson was an actor on That 70s Show, and we'll be ending our conversation with Matthew discussing all of the sexual assault claims that's going on in Hollywood since the Harvey Weinstein allegations have come out so without further ado let's jump right into the meek mill case meek mill robert remeek williams as he's also known was sentenced to spend two to four years in prison this past week for violating his probation but many are saying something seems shady here's a little background to how meek was even on probation in the first place so meek was originally arrested for drug possession and gun possession in 2008 and 2009 and spent eight months in prison. He was later placed on probation for five years. Common Police Judge Janice Brinkley has been in charge of Meek Mill's case ever since then. In the years that have followed, Meek has found himself in hot water again with Judge Brinkley by violating his probation by booking performances outside of Philly without Judge Brinkley's approval and several other arrests. So that has caused his probation to be extended and for him to even serve several months in jail. Well, all of this came to a head this past week when Judge Brinkley ruled that Meek had violated his probation yet again, citing a failed drug test and unapproved travel. So from what I've seen um, of those violations, those would be considered violations in the state of New York as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I practice in New York, so I can't speak to the state of Pennsylvania's criminal yeah. law and procedure, but it's fairly common to have those kinds of restrictions uh, in probation. So the restriction on travel without a judge's permission, a restriction on using marijuana yeah. um, or any type of drug. Sometimes there's a restriction on the the consumption of alcohol, depending on the underlying case. Well, I guess we're going to get into it a little bit more, but it seems that some of the legal scholars and attorneys who are um, looking at this case, they're saying that none of these necessarily warrant him going to jail for two to four years. But like I said, there's some more that sort of colors their opinion, not just the fact that there is these violations. So the sentence was unexpected because prosecutors recommended Meek not be in prison for the probation violations, mentioning he's been drug free since January and has complied with most requirements of probation. Meek's lawyer, Brian McMonagall, has vowed to appeal the sentencing. He has many other public figures such as Jay-Z and others calling the ruling unjust and heavy-handed. So, Matthew, what is your opinion on the two to four years sentencing for the probation violation? Considering the recommendations um, from the prosecutor and like other attorneys who have talked about this case. Let me say on the outset, 
Meek Mill is a hip hop artist, right? He's yes. a he's a black guy. Um, I'm an African American attorney, and when I see these high profile uh, black performers hiring non black attorneys, it bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, my colleagues um, of color work very hard. We're very good at what we do. And it's very frustrating for us collectively mm-hmm. to find people coming out of our cultural tradition of hip hop and finding attorneys outside of that culture. So that was his first mistake. Yeah, right. I think actually Fetty Wap, his attorney, um, Navarro, yeah. he's yeah, based out of New Jersey. Um, I thought that was really interesting because, you, like you said, you don't see a lot of black attorneys being paired with black artists. And right. Usually the labels, the person that they go and they say, who do I need to get to represent me? Mm-hmm. And they point them to their usually white attorneys to handle them because they're like, these are the people who we trust. So I think that's a very- Great point. Yes, Great thing point. to point out. You saw that as well in uh, Nicki Minaj's brother's case. Yes. Um, I am personal friends with, with their um, kind of family attorney because they're from Brooklyn and my guy is from Brooklyn and he's known the family for years. But when my young brother got in trouble, they didn't call my friend. They called someone else and the brother was just convicted. Not saying that there's a relationship between the conviction and the attorney he hired, yeah. but why not hire an attorney who looks like you, who understands you, who knows who you are and what you do? Yeah, especially in the criminal justice system. There's, there's a very unique way that African Americans are treated in the criminal justice system. And it would be beneficial to have someone in your corner who sort of knows how to approach that and can sort of they won't always get you the best outcome, but at least knowing that they understand the struggle and so they can better present it, maybe. Exactly. Um, Absolutely. What you do as a criminal defense attorney, and and I was a prosecutor, but I'm a criminal defense attorney. What your job is, is to humanize your client in the eyes of the judge and the jury. Because a judge just looks at a case file and then looks at the person before him Mm -hmm. or her, right? The jury just looks at the facts that the prosecutor says and then looks at the person's demeanor. So your job as the defense attorney is to say, my client is more than the sum of these allegations. My client is a fully realized human being who has hopes, dreams, and desires that go far beyond what he's accused of, what she's accused of. And if I'm a rapper, if I'm a black brother from the hood, who else could tell my story but another brother or a sister? But you know what I think makes this case even more interesting is that the judge, Ms. Brinkley, is also black. <laughs> so when we were talking about this, we, we always had the assumption that the judge is a non-black person. And so it's like people are like, uh, I don't know how to feel about right. this. <laughs> so Miss Brinkley, she's also been accused of wanting meek to show her favor and get her give her shout outs and songs and also get him to leave his label and sign with friends labels and you know they think that there's some bias that the judge also has again to me in order for him to get such a harsh sentence um matthew in your opinion do you think you know the pro probation violations warrant such a big sentence i know a lot of the celebrities think that, you know, and, you know, lame people think that Meek was 
um, not charged or found guilty of the probation violations or the crimes that he committed, you know, since being on probation. And they're saying, you know, he wasn't convicted of the crime, so therefore he shouldn't have gotten the sentence. I'm at the sense you still violated probation. I don't know if the sentencing was completely warranted, but I don't know how it necessarily relates to, you know, him violating probation and getting this sentence. So technically the judge could have sentenced him to state prison after the first violation. Yeah. Technically he is eligible to be sentenced to state prison for any so-called technical violation. So in probation, you have what's called technical violations. Um, And a technical violation is a violation where you have made a mistake and you broke a rule, but the rule is not very egregious. So Mm -hmm. for example, um, missing a curfew. Part of probation might say you have a a 10 o'clock curfew. You have to be in your home at 10. So if a probation officer comes home, you're not home, but then you arrive at 1030, it's a technical violation. You're not violating the spirit of probation. You're not living a lawless life. You just broke one of the rules. However, under the law, a technical violation is enough to sustain a charge of violating your probation. But we consider those things de minimis. We consider them minor infractions, and we don't expect a judge to revoke your probation and sentence you. However, if the judge sentenced Meek to a legal sentence under the terms of his original plea, then there is very little grounds for a successful appeal. Okay. Meaning, if the maximum sentence under the terms of his original plea was a one to three or one and a half to three, and the judge sentenced him to a two to four, then she did what we called um, made an illegal sentence, which you could successfully appeal. But if she sentenced him to a term of imprisonment that's in line with the sentencing guidelines for which he was charged and, and pled guilty to. For his original crime. For his original crime, then mm-hmm. there's no issue with his violation that's the point of probation probation says you know what you're facing five years of state prison but i'm not going to do that instead i'm going to put you on punishment i'm going to restrict what you can and can't do and let's see how you act under my rules as the judge and if you can act according to my rules for five years you don't get that five-year sentence But that five-year sentence is always hanging out there. So even at the end of the five years of probation, in that final year, if you sort of don't act right, you can still get the original sentence is what you're saying, right? Yes. Minus any credit for time you've already served. What do you think about the critics who claim that he has been on probation for too long? So I believe his original uh, crime was maybe 10 years ago. 2008, 2009. Yeah. Um, So people are saying, you know, he committed this crime back in 2008. Why is he still being punished in 2017? Do you think that the initial uh, term of probation was too long? I can only assume that his attorneys at the time thought and believed that there was a legal basis to have Meek Mill on probation for this amount of time. So just because he was arrested in 2009 doesn't mean that his 
case was over in 2009. Many cases, particularly celebrity cases, get dragged out. So you may have extended discovery, you may have dis- extended motion practice, you may have extended plea negotiations. Um, because Meek is a performer and he has to travel frequently, that may have prolonged the case. So if he was arrested in 2009 and he's still on probation in 2017, it was a five-year term, it tells me that he may not have pled this case out until 2012, which would be reasonable given the fact that he's a celebrity. So based off of what we do know, um, I think that one of his other attorneys, Joe Tacopina, and he's the one who's sort of alleging all of this bias of the judge. He's saying that they're going to try to get her to recuse herself from the case. And I don't know how reasonable is that to get at this point. She's been with him for like a decade, essentially. How reasonable is that for him to try to get in here, um, Meek's team rather, to get um, Judge Brinkley thrown off the case? Joe Tacopino is a New York guy. Um, he is brash. Um, he loves the media. He wears <laughs> fancy suits. I have nothing against him. But for him to say that he wants the judge to recuse herself after she sentenced him to a two to four is shutting the barn door after the horse has left. Okay. If he were to file a recusal motion, he should have done so before sentencing, before probation was revoked. If you have all of these allegations of of judicial misconduct, you file a recusal motion before she takes an adverse action against your client. Yeah. And by the way, this is just my opinion. I don't represent Meek Mill. I'm not your attorney. (laughs) You are not going to win an appeal by trashing a judge publicly. Yeah. Because guess who's going to hear the appeal? One of those judges' friends. Another judge. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, I see how you're going to treat me if this doesn't go the way that you like. Um, But regardless of what we think, Meek Mill is in jail. Right. He's already reported to jail last Wednesday. And, And by the way, Meek, if you're on probation, don't get locked up in New York. How about we start at that premise? Right. If you're on probation, how about you don't get locked up for doing wheelies in, in, in Manhattan? That's just not smart if you're on probation, Meek. Right. So I think the up. final <laughs> question is, based on the probation violations, do we think the sentence is fair? And we'll let you answer that, Matthew. It depends. Why do I say it depends? It depends because you have to look at what the original charge was. I don't know the facts and circumstances of the original charge, but apparently there was a plea for drug and gun possession. Right. So here's the question we ha- we ask as a society, and this is a question, now I'm putting my prosecutor hat on. Um, the question you have to ask is, if a man pled guilty to illegally possessing a weapon and was also illegally in possession of narcotics, do we, A, want that man walking the streets on probation, or do we, B, want that man in jail? That's the legal framework with which I look at this case. Now, putting my criminal defense hat on, do I think it's quote-unquote fair that he get a two to four? Probably not. But again, we have to go back to what originally happened. These cases, particularly a case like this that's gone on for many years, it's not just this one court appearance that got Meek Mill in trouble. 
there's a history, an ongoing history of Meek Mill doing things in violation of his probation. And it's not only this judge who was fed up. Any judge will be fed up and eventually sentence you to jail if you don't seem to get it through your head that the judge is in charge. The biggest thing about probation is you have to let the judge know that you are submitting to the judge and the judge is in charge. That is the most difficult thing for our clients to do, particularly a famous client, because famous clients have agency. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have resources. They, they can travel. People want to see them. People clap when they speak. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's really it when you think about right. someone who has a whole team, a staff of people that everyone will quit talking as soon as they're coming to the room. And now they're the one that has to sit and stand when the judge comes into the room. That's that's a big thing. I'm glad you brought that up. So at what point do we take Meek Mill off of probation? After four years. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think he will be on probation again after this or he'll serve his time and then be, quote unquote, a free man? So, it, well, first I want to answer an, unan- an unasked question, which is what is a two to four? A lot of right. people don't know what a two to four is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we call an indeterminate sentence, whereby the minimum amount of time you would be incarcerated is two years. Mm-hmm. The maximum amount of time is four years. And that in between the indeterminate factor depends on your conduct while incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So if you have a a lot of violations, if you get into fights, if you fight with the corrections officers, if you don't otherwise comply with the rules and regulations in jail, you won't get out at the two. You'll get out on the back end of the four. Depending on the technical way in which he was put in jail, he could be finished with this case entirely after he serves this prison sentence. There are cases, again, in in New York in particular, there are cases where your client's on five years probation and the judge puts them in for a taste of jail, 90 days, and then they go back on probation. So it just depends. Which I think happened with Meek. He he served some jail time in the midst of this. Right. And then he got out and he was back on probation. Probation. Right. And and let me not be a curmudgeon, but I'm not caping for Meek Mill in this situation. If he already went to jail, it means that there have already been a series of violations. Right. There has been, yeah. So, moral of the story, hire a black attorney. If you are a black person and you are facing criminal charges and, you know, we will help you. We're not your attorneys, but we can be. So hire us. Um, Let's move on to Danny Masterson's rape case. So, Danny Masterson, I think you guys may know him from um, 1998 to 2006. He was on the show that 70s show and he was one i think with the curly hair and usually had like the sunglasses on i have Uh, never seen the show i've never seen it either i've never (laughs) seen a full episode i've seen a few pieces of many different ones you go to sleep at night with the television on you wake up (laughs) and it happens to be on fx that's when i would see that 70s show and i'd like racing to get the remote to turn it off because i'd be like this is terrible right (laughs) so masterson uh recently made headlines by being accused of rape by four different women dating back to the early 2000s like 
Tyrone said what makes this case interesting is even after months of long investigation and despite the Los Angeles County District Attorney having compelling evidence against Masterson, the investigation has stalled and no charges have been brought against him, allegedly because the Church of Scientology got involved to have their members back. So Danny, as well as all of his four accusers, are members of the Church of Scientology. And the women are claim- claiming that the Church of Scientology has covered up the rape. The case began in 2004 when one woman filed a report with the Los Angeles Police Department saying Danny raped her when she was passed out in an earlier incident in 2003. She also claimed she woke up, she woke up when she realized what was happening but he choked her until she passed out again. So before we continue into the facts, like Matthew, I just want to know, what do you think about a church stepping in to protect one of their members um, on allegations of rape? It happens all the time. With this religion or other religions as well? Like, I, mm, I'm I, thinking of New York City. I think it's, <laughs> I, I, although I don't have any personal experience with this, mm. I would imagine that, churches and all institutions step in and protect their high profile members um we've seen it with the uh, priest allegations yes, where the churches have stepped in to crush any allegations of sexual abuse uh, lodged against the priests we've seen it uh here in brooklyn mm-hmm. um with allegations against uh, members of certain synagogues. Um, We've even seen it with certain Mormons, not in necessarily New York, but like out west, Utah, big pastors who have like allegations lobbed against them. And next thing you know, they disappear. disappear. And you're like, wait, hold on. I thought I saw an article about this and no, nothing ever came of it. So I think you're absolutely right. It happens in, in other religions as well. But, um, I think it's this one is particularly egregious because of Scientology's background and um, how they treat people who um, become ex-members. Well, when you say Scientology's background, um, I think you're referring to kind of the history of Scientology and how it won its tax exemption. Yes. By um, I, I want to say they literally well, harassed the IRS, and it, it was. I mean, we can't give you all of the details of what exactly went down, but just know that they were chasing their tax-exempt status for a very long time, and they got really dirty with their tactics by the time it was, like, to the end of determining the dispute. And like you said, I think it really traces back to that time. But even, like, how they treat ex-members and they try to tarnish your name and they make up lies about you and websites and... It really is a lot for allegedly a, a religion, a 501c3 at that nonprofit group. And like they're not living up to the like the social welfare part of obtaining that IRS status. They have been accused of being very organized in their um, in the way in which they crush dissent. I think that's what really sets them apart from some of the other religions is the Church of Scientology employs really smart, sophisticated individuals to stop people from speaking against Scientology. And we've seen that 
yes, with their tax-exempt status, and we've seen it with that documentary going clear. So it, it is troubling that you would say it's a church, it's a religious organization, it's supposed to be a social welfare organization, but it seems, based on these allegations, that it's more interested in protecting its brand than it is in serving the people. Because one would reason, if you have a member who is committing sexual assault against other members, mm-hmm. you would you would go against the assaulter, not the assaulted. But, you know, a rapper, I forget which rapper he said, who said this, but, you know, a rapper once said, now we play big bank takes little bank. And so I'm assuming Danny Masterson has more resources mm-hmm. than the women who accused him. Absolutely. So the woman who initially filed the case uh, claim against Masterson back in 20, uh, 2004, her case was uh, eventually closed because the Church of Scientology submitted over 50 affidavits from Scientologists who denied the woman's account. Also, her case file magically came up missing, forcing the district attorney to reconstruct her case um the woman claimed that the church had threatened her and said if she told the police she will lose everything and everyone she added in her statement to the police that the church put her in massive ethics programs as punishment meanwhile her rapist masterson was not punished at all and and that goes right back again to the 501c3 status where the file came up missing from the L.A. County Attorney's Office. In their 501c3 status chase, they actually had people join the IRS. Mm. And so the employees of the IRS were members of the Church of Scientology. Mm. And so there was internal pressure to grant that status as well as the external pressure. And here, I was a prosecutor here in Manhattan. And... We were very low tech, but it was very difficult to lose a file, particularly particularly a rape file, right? You you know, the sexual abuse files are usually kept, and this is LA County, so this is a a sophisticated jurisdiction. This isn't Bumbledoodle, Idaho, no disrespect to Bumbledoodle, Idaho, but I'm assuming they have a special sex crimes unit Mm -hmm. which has specially trained sex crimes prosecutors and typically those units are not the kinds of units a line assistant or just a a staff person can walk into and access the files typically they're separated they have specially trained staff and prosecutors who are in charge of those cases so it's unusual to read that the la county prosecutor's office lost a file right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so according to her, this woman, who I don't... Yeah, she is not named yet. In Scientology, reporting another church member to law enforcement is considered a suppressive act, and it can lead to punishment or even expulsion from the church. The church is known for attacking its accusers rather than rebutting the accusations and for efficiently organizing its members to take action against accusers, which, again, we've already sort of referenced that. The other three women allegedly reported their rapes directly to the Church of Scientology, however, to no avail, which, again, I found that really strange that they were reported to the church and not reported to law enforcement. That's sort of strange to me. Yes, they didn't want to be ousted. They needed a place to say, I don't know, just because we're speaking of 
the Church of Scientology. I'm thinking of Tiffany Haddish, and she was just on SNL as the first black woman, so congrats to her. But she um, joined the Church of Scientology when she first moved to L.A. because she didn't have money, needed a place to stay. And she just talked about all the things that they promised her to take care of her, and you know, she didn't have anywhere to go, and they would give her a job, and X, Y, and Z. But for her, a trigger was sleeping in a bump bed because she had horrible experiences as a teen and young child. So when she got to the church and she got in the room, they put her in a bunk bed and she just went ballistic. And that was how she was able to get out of the church yeah. because they didn't want to deal with that. That was within the first couple <laughs> day or a couple of days. But thank God she got out of that. But I just think of so many um, people who... I have not been able to escape the church and you know, you'll see it in uh, Leah Remney's special. So that was just a one off, but I mean, Masterson, let's get back to him. He denied the accusations and blamed Leah Remney again, who was a former Scientologist um, for the rape claim saying that in a statement that the allegations appear to be motivated to boost her show that is anti-Scientology. So yeah, she started her journey out of Scientology in like 2009, 2010. And then I believe last year is when her first, the first season of her show aired where they talk about the aftermath and the life after leaving the Church of Scientology, particularly when you've been like a high profile celebrity or you were in the Sea Org, which is their top level. Those are the people who run Scientology. And so they have a lot of ex-people from those circles who come and share their experiences. But even just the low-level people, this is where it comes into play, these three or four women, because strangely enough, they ended up being featured on the show this past season. But I think the either, I think it's the LAPD, they got involved with, the production and they said oh hey we actually don't want this to air until we can do a little bit more so there are episodes that sort of feature went, the victims they feature the victims yeah um but they didn't put, i don't think they i think they have two more episodes to the end of the season i don't think any of the victims end up on the season but apparently they're in the um the intro for the show there's some footage of them that ended up in there even though their identities haven't been revealed but obviously some people have access to the the case files that magically disappeared maybe it's just floating out there at the kinkos or something you know look as a criminal defense attorney i have to say that regardless of the allegations you are absolutely entitled to a defense you are absolutely entitled to zealous representation regardless of the allegations. So as a criminal defense attorney, when I hear that three accusers reported it to the church first, right, <laughs> and then now in 2017 is due, in 2004, five, mm-hmm. and now in 2017 is making a TV show about it, I love it as a defense attorney. <laughs> I love it. I want, I want this as an accuser because my argument to a jury is going to be what victim would tell the church and not the police yeah Mm. right and then what victim would go on a tv show 10 years later and not the police yeah right that whether or not 
the victims, and I'm calling them victims, I'm yeah. not calling them accusers, but whether or not the victim is absolutely true and honest, you hurt your case by doing those things. But if you're just a if you're a victim, you don't think about it in terms of the case. You're hurt. Yeah. And you're turning to your church leaders because those are the people who are supposed to heal you. So how would you combat them saying, you know, I didn't go to the police because the church says if I do, it's a suppressive act. I can be ousted out of the church. How would you respond to them? Are you in the church now? I don't think that they are not in the church. We haven't had any information that they decided yeah. not to uh, be a part of the church. I'm unclear on that. I think let's we say can that, assume, assume that, that they, they are in the church because they none of them have come forth with their names yet. Yeah. But I think I don't, I'm not sure though because if the episode would have aired, they definitely would have been kicked out. Kicked of the church. out. <laughs> and but we from the episode, we only know that it's one person. So let's say there's two people still yeah, in the church. Let's say there's two people in the church still, and they said, "Well, I didn't go to the police because it was seen as a suppress suppressive act." What would you say as a defense attorney for Masterson? I would, I would ask those complainants, because now I'm calling them complainants mm -hmm. as a defense attorney, I would ask them how much of their lives were controlled by Scientology at the time. Meaning, what did they have at stake? What did they stand to lose by reporting these allegations at the time? And then I weigh what they claim that they would have lost against what they seek to gain now by okay. making the allegations. Mm -hmm. So what do they seek to gain? Well, we know they went on television, mm -hmm. right? So they're seeking to gain some sort of notoriety. We know that they had a relationship of some sort uh, with a famous person who's still famous. We know, based on my investigation, because I'm being paid by someone rich to do an investigation, we know that these people probably don't have the strongest financial position. Mm -mm. And we know that they're probably going to be seeking a civil lawsuit, right? Right. So we know all of these things, and so we call that a motive to fabricate. Uh, well, you know, the case, like we said again, that was first filed in 2014, uh, excuse me, 2004 was shut down, and now the Los Angeles District Attorney is looking into the evidence again, and he has now found uh, evidence of audio and emails sent to and from Scientology officers at the time of the alleged rapes. There's also been computer evidence and threatening handwritten letters from Masterson um, that he sent to one of the alleged victims trying to basically suppress their testimony or allegations against him and... So while the, the charges against um, Danny Masterson are, are pending, he is geared up to defend himself by hiring power lawyer Thomas Messuro to serve as his criminal defense attorney. I think Bill Cosby also hired him, uh, Messuro, for a retrial of sexual assault charges in Pennsylvania. And Masterson is also represented by Hollywood litigator Marty Singer, who's also representing film director Brett Ratner. Um, in response to in response to allegations of sexual misconduct, which Brett Ratner, he actually 
this is super super relevant because um the lead woman for wonder woman yes um she's Gal actually Gadot. yes um i think she, she's israeli yes she's beautiful um she she didn't actually get you know when you sign on to do these superhero movies if you're a man usually you get a multi film like franchise commitment at the beginning from like a dc or marvel well, they didn't do that with her because she's a woman. So a little bit of sexism in there because they didn't think she was going to do well. That film actually did really great. And she actually has negotiating power. And Brett Ratner is supposed to be, I think, directing this next movie. And she said she wants or or either he had invested into it or something like that. He has a major role in this. Um, and she said she does not want him to be attached to anything to do with the next Wonder Woman movie or else she's not going to be in it. So Good that's like, whoa. Good for her. Good what I find her. interesting, Masterson, you know, he is in a show on Netflix. I don't remember the name. It's probably something I'm not going to watch. But Netflix hasn't said anything in regards to these allegations of rape. And so far, his show is still going on. So it'll be interesting to see what they do if they pull his show like they did Kevin Spacey's uh, show on House of Cards. And I think another interesting point is you don't see this case a lot in the media. And a lot of people have suggested that's because Scientology has suppressed the media. There's Scientologists who are in powerful positions where this case isn't highly publicized. But Apparently, there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that he did rape these four women. And I guess we just have to see if he actually gets charged for it. Let me say this, taking my criminal defense lawyer hat off. If you are the victim of a crime, the fewer statements you make about the crime, the better. Yeah. You do not serve the criminal case by being on record making multiple statements because a good attorney will pick apart any inconsistency between the multiple versions of the case. So although those episodes of Miss Remini's show did not air, those episodes are still evidence and are subject to a subpoena by the defense if there's a criminal proceeding. So you have the original reports to Scientology, which is going to be one version. Then you have... Whatever emails were exchanged between those victims and Miss uh, Ramini, right? Those are another version. Then you have whatever was taped during the taping of that show. That's another version. No human being is able to tell the same story the same way yes. three different times, even if it's true. Right. Unless you train to tell that story the same way over and over. That's like acting. That's what you see on Broadway every night. <laughs> And that's what you argue as a defense attorney, right? Mm-hmm. If they are all the same, you say the only way they can be the same is if it's rehearsed. Exactly. Like an actor mm-hmm. on Broadway. But if they're inconsistent, which naturally they will be, you say it's inconsistent because they're yeah. lying. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> that, they, they can't remember it because it didn't happen. They, they're they making can't it keep up. the story straight. <laughs> exactly. So that's why you need a good attorney. And that's how Bill Cosby beat those charges. I mean, he was it was a hung jury. But what his defense did, if you read the transcripts of his case, mm-hmm. the defense compared the the complainant's testimony on trial with her prior testimony with other public statements she made. So the, there were multiple sets of stories of that victim's uh, experiences. And that's all it takes because all you need is one person 
to say, you know what? It is kind of shady because she said he was wearing the blue cardigan back in September. But then when she said it just now, he was wearing the multicolored cardigan. I don't know. She just... Yeah. And that's all you need. You need reasonable, reasonable doubt. doubt. Right. Reasonable doubt. And so you argue, is it reasonable for a real victim to take their pain and their suffering and the trauma and tell the Scientologist? Or is it reasonable for you to go to the person you know from the day you were born is here to protect you? And that's the police. So what do you do? You go well, to Scientologist. That is why you have to make the case that Scientology is like a cult. Because otherwise, they're going to just be like, well, that's, why would you go to like your religious leader? Like, who does that? Like, that's not what the average, your ordinary citizen's going to do. Well, it's like, well, when you're being told, like, these are the people, you get permission from them to do everything and anything. That is the argument that you have to make. It's like they control all aspects of your life. And like, if all your friends and your family are involved in it, and they'll say, we will cut you off from all of them, and we will throw you out, and we'll send you a bill. Because I think what a lot of people miss, too, is that Scientology is very expensive. You, This is not a free thing. This is like, you pay for courses to go clear and to rise up and become a stronger Scientologist. Mm-hmm. So when you get to like the celebrity status, that's the thing. It's like, normal average... Everyday people, they can't even get to the top levels of Scientology because they don't have enough money. Like you become OT3 or OT2, whatever the levels are that they call them, because that costs millions of dollars. Millions. And if you talk about Scientology outside of the confines of other Scientologists, they can kick you out and say, oh, especially if you get involved in leadership and they comp a lot of this stuff, they'll say, you owe us hundreds of thousands of dollars because they make you sign a billion-year contract when you go into Scientology. (laughs) I don't know how that's legally enforceable, but apparently it is held up in someone's court because they threaten enough people with it to where they'll, like, recant or they'll shut it down. But there's also a monetary portion connected to this outside of just even the social part of it. So I think that's the case that has to be made for someone who says they're in Scientology and... They didn't go to the police because they were like, I didn't want to lose my entire life, <laughs> which means finances and social order and standing. But again, this is something that really has to be flushed out by the LAPD. And hopefully if there is some type of misconduct happening in their offices and like the prosecutor's office, that there's some internal affairs type things that could happen to clear that up because that does not make sense for the files to be disappearing. I'm sorry. We are way too far progressed as a society for fouls to be disappearing in the mid-2000s. And by the way, Danny Masterson, stop raping people. Yes. But let's start there. Right. Just, just how about we do that? Just don't rape anybody. Yes. But again, this is actually a symptom of what we're going to continue to talk about. It's just all of the sexual assault claims um, that we have gotten to since Harvey Weinstein... Um, has been accused of sexual assault um, back in October. So since then, the list has continued to grow um, of men who have committed sexual assault. Against, or been accused. Yeah, and 
Hollywood. Um, before we jump into the list, we're going to give you the basic definition of sexual assault. And so sexual assault is defined as a sexual act in which a person is coerced or physically forced to engage against their will or non-consensual sexual touching of a person. Sexual assault is a form of sexual violence and it includes rape such as forced vaginal anal or oral penetration or drug facilitated uh, facilitated sexual assault groping child sexual abuse or the torture of the person in a sexual manner i've defended a number of these kinds of cases i've also prosecuted a number but i've defended a lot of serious sexual misconduct cases uh, here in the city of New York. Yes. I was going to ask you, so since you've defended a lot of these, I think what a lot of people sort of, this is where everyone sort of, they, it hinges on for them to whether they believe it or not is like the evidence part. So how hard is it to prove, like what type of evidence do you need to present to prove or disprove something like this happened? The he said he said or he said she said or she said she said situation highlights the power of the individual prosecutor Mm -hmm. because it's the individual assistant district attorney or or county prosecutor or or state's attorney whatever model you're working with it's what that person believes so if that individual believes the complaining witness then there will be a criminal proceeding if that person disbelieves the complaining witness, then there will be no criminal proceeding, which is why, A, elections matter, because yes. in many states, prosecutors are elected officials. And B, once you vote and elect your prosecutor, that prosecutor must hire competent people, not only people who come from the best law schools in this country, yes. but people who are culturally competent and know the community. And know the community. When I was a prosecutor in Manhattan at the time, and it's still the same, the office hired mainly people from Ivy League schools, from upper middle class backgrounds, people who summered. I summered on my porch when I was little and drank Kool-Aid, <laughs> right? These people had second homes and vacation homes and multiple bathrooms. Um, and so when they met a complainant who was poor, black, from the projects, halfway went to school, and that person talked about their baby daddy. That was a cultural moment for that little 26-year-old prosecutor who had never heard that term outside of television. Gonna say, like, literally outside of television. Yes. And when that victim is trying to describe her experiences to a 26-year-old white kid from Connecticut, it's it's very difficult because the victim doesn't have the vocabulary that that person from Connecticut is expecting. So you need cultural competence in your prosecutors. You need a diverse pool of attorneys to, to draw from. So we need more folks in law school, more Asians, more Latinos, more blacks. We need transgender people in law school. We need everybody to go to law school and become prosecutors because, and again, my criminal defense attorney brethren, 
Don't get mad at me, but we need good prosecutors because mm-hmm. it's the good prosecutors who can determine what's a real case versus what's bullshit. And so in that one-on-one situation where there's very little extrinsic evidence, it just comes down to the call yeah. the prosecutor makes. Absolutely. And my final question to you, formerly a prosecutor and now on the defense side, how do you like the transition? I love being a criminal defense attorney. It is amazing. Um, You, as a criminal defense attorney, are charged with upholding the Constitution. The most fundamental aspect of the Constitution is that it is a check on government of power against the individual. And as a criminal defense attorney, you are the person in between the power of the government, which has unlimited resources, which has men and women with guns. Second Amendment. Against your little client. Sometimes your client's a big fish. But even if your client is a Harvey Weinstein, your client does not have the resources of an entire government. So to be that person or be part of a team that protects the individual against the government is powerful and it's it's invigorating to me. To go to court and argue every day about the constitutional protections that your client deserves and has by nature of being in this country is invigorating. It's I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. We're so happy to have you yes, on to discuss you. Meek and all these sexual assault allegations and cases. Um, please let the listeners know how they can contact you and your social media handles as well. Sure. So thank you for having me. This was great. Um, you two are a wonderful team. This is a great podcast. This went by really quickly. Um, so I am at www.matthewsmallsesq.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W, smalls like Biggie, E-S-Q.com. Esquire. <laughs> and just regular Matthew Smalls was taken. <laughs> um, and my Twitter handle is just at Matthew Smalls. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Uh, that wraps it up. Um, I will give you our handles real quick. Be sure to follow us at Popwall Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Pop on over to www.poplawpodcast.com. We have some cool pictures and other interesting content that's only on our website. And remember, we We are are not not your attorneys. attorneys. Bye. Bye.